Hello, welcome to uh, the sixth episode of Mega Ten Marathon. It's a game-by-game journey through the Shin Megami Tensei and Persona games. Um, I am Paul M. Davis, and who am I here with today? It's me, Brian Static. How's it going, everybody? Hey, and I'm Evan. And we have a special guest today. We do. First one ever, known for his interesting opinions about Sonic the Hedgehog 2006. It's our good friend. <laughs> it's our good friend Fletch. How's it going, man? I'm good. I love that. That is the one thing you could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are some other things I could say, but uh, that's NSFW. So uh, <laughs> that's true. We're, we don't want the series with Mara puns in it to be the one that gets a little foul. Exactly. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page here. So, uh, I mean, we we've never had a guest before, so you get you're the honorary uh, introductory member to the Mega Ten Marathon Guest Club, um, and uh, I'd, we'd like to start off with just like what's uh, what's your relationship with the series? How'd you get into it? How what what's special about SMT to you? I started with Jack Brothers. Yeah, cool. let that sink in. That's wow. awesome. Yeah. A uh, buddy of mine had a Virtual Boy, and my wife actually has a broken Virtual Boy in the other room that we're still trying to fix up. But, uh, yeah, that was the very first thing. You know, Mario Tennis made me sick. Uh, he didn't have any of the good games. And then he just bought Jack Brothers when they were clearancing the things, and <laughs> I ended up taking it off his hands years later. That is crazy. So that did you like from playing that you actually went on to discover the other games? Yes. Later on, I would get. I didn't have a PlayStation One. I would get a couple of those titles on with the PS2. But uh, around this time, there was a translation patch for this game, and I went, "Hey, I recognize that snowman." And here we are. Excellent. So. Um... You know, just real quick note about preparing Virtual Boys. Preparing Virtual Boys is no joke. Like, no, uh, it's yeah. There's a reason it's been sitting around for about a year. I mean, there's that. It's there's also a very real reason why eventually there will just be no more working Virtual Boys. I can't remember, but there's a certain part in them that pretty much it's a it's a death clock. Eventually, that clock's going to ring, and the console will be dead forever. This yeah, I want to say there's a ribbon. die associated with the LCD. Sounds about right. Yeah, it is, isn't it based on moving, like moving mirrors or something like that? Like yes. something that sounds like prone to breaking within two weeks of you purchasing the device. Well, dang, sir, we might have to have you back for our Jack Bros episode then. <laughs> it'll um, be all of ten minutes. There's not much you can bring out of it, but I'm down. Well, it'll be a, it'll be a fun shorty one. Anyway, <laughs> so let's uh, let's let's dive right in. Shin Megami Tensei One. The actual reason we started this podcast. Yeah, the first, it's the first official Shin Megami Tensei game. Um, and uh, if we haven't mentioned this in the previous episodes, Shin Megami Tensei means true goddess reincarnation. And uh, that goddess refers to Izanami. And Brian, you seem to have a pretty good pretty good uh, understanding of what is not what we learned is represents. Do you want to just kind of go over that again really yeah, quickly? I wouldn't say I have a good understanding, but I definitely got schooled a little bit about what this means. Cause we were very unaware of exactly uh, the, the connotations of the reincarnation of is Now in Japanese mythology is basically represents the mother of demons. 
So if we were to do a more localization translation of this title, um, probably a better translation would be Hell on Earth. Or, (laughs) (laughs) uh, oh, I forget. Um, Our good friend May suggested uh, another example, but I totally forgot. Um, Is it May or my? Oh, no, I feel embarrassed now. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's my, but may came out of my mouth because that's my last name and I fucked up. Mm. So the other thing is uh, about Shin Megami Tensei is Shin is basically the Japanese equivalent of saying super. Like we got super Metroid and super Mario Shin, uh, literally translates to true, but it's more of a way of saying upgraded, more different. (laughs) Super goddess uh, reincarnation. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh yeah this was originally released for the super fam super famicom in 1992 in japan and it was not released in english uh until 2014 uh oddly enough for ios i think it's one of the only releases that atlas has put out on ios um so yeah that was very odd that they decided to localize it and release it at that time and, uh, you know, even though there had been Megami Tensei 1 and 2 prior, like, this is the one that it seems like Atlas really went all in and they, like, said, we want to create a franchise um, along the lines of uh, Final Fantasy or Dragon, Qu- Dragon Quest with this series. And a number of people, a number of notable people worked on this uh, title that would go on to work on future uh, SMT games, including uh, director Yosuke Nino, producer uh, Hideyuki Yokoyama, programmer and future Megami Tensei director uh, Kuji Okada, writers Ryuri Ido and Kuzunari Sukuri Su- Suzuki, sorry, uh, and composer uh, Sukada Matsu- Masuda Masuko. Um, and in the last game, as in, in the last game, uh, Kazuma Kaneko, who has been doing the character designs in the SMT games for the last 25 years um, or so, worked on multiple aspects of the game, including uh, the character and sprite design, uh, the world's concept and visual design, and the creation of uh, the visual assets and demon designs and all all of that. Um and so, interestingly, interestingly um, Megami Tensei 2 took place after the apocalypse. So this isn't, like, explicitly a prequel, but the designers wanted to focus on the events pre-apocalypse in this game. And um, kind of going back to the idea of, like, creating their own franchise... Uh, in an interview prior to uh, the release of uh, Shin Megami Tensei 4... Uh, Ka- Kazuyuki Yamai uh, stated that one of the inspirations behind this original game and series in whole was to uh, infuse it with a punk attitude, which was uh, in opposition to the medieval fantasy settings of uh, the other big RPG franchises, which I think we've talked about in previous episodes that that punk attitude is definitely something that's uh, spoke to us at least the uh, three of us in pre- previous episodes and, you know, made it stand out from other JRPGs. I feel it needs to be pointed out that when you say this is the game where, you know, Kaneko's visual design really comes into its own, 
they were reusing sprites from this game well into the 32-bit era. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. very much, yeah. yeah this, is the, this is definitely the one, though, where like, the, that flavor comes into the focus. Um, Megami Tensei 2, like, you saw bits of it, but it's still, like, even Jack Frost didn't look quite right. Um, there, you know, I think I read this on Wikipedia, but I, I think I saw that they considered this game to pretty much be a remake of Megami Tensei 1 when they first started working on it, which is why there are, there are some beats that kind of play out similarly. Not a ton, but a few. Yeah, that's interesting. The setting is so different than Megami Tensei 1 that that's kind of surprising to hear. There's also, and I'm not going to say much on this because that'll come up later, a lot of not plot-related but detail-based carryover between this and Shin Megami Tensei 4. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. So uh, I think most of us played the SNES uh, English-patched ROM. Um, I played a little bit of the iOS version. I got kind of frustrated with the Demon's uh, negotiation but I think if I had stuck with it, the demon negotiation would have gotten a lot easier. I was mm-hmm. just feeling antsy about it. Uh, Sir, you played both? I played both, and I admit I stopped again in the middle of the iOS just because it's irritating because it's a emulator wrapper around the GBA port of the game. So you have a very small screen resolution. It has a virtual... GBA keypad on there at all times. (laughs) And the font is just really irritating when it only comes a couple of lines at a time. I just went, all right, you know what? I will give up the modern conveniences that this port has to just play it with a speed up key and the occasional save state. Yeah. Unfortunately, like uh, the, the nice parts about the iOS port just aren't quite good enough to overcome the fact that you're still playing this 25 year old game. You know, the Iowa, it looks really nice, like the, the map's redone, uh, but yeah, the, the, the tacked-on GBA controls are really odd. Uh, and another really annoying thing about it is it only has uppercase letters when you're naming your characters. Yeah, you, you do that scream name thing all the time whenever you're <laughs> your party. Which, you know, when I, uh, when I was younger and I played JRPGs, that was the most annoying thing, because it was hard to tell when you were entering the character's name whether other characters were going to have their name in all caps or if they were going to be written like a normal English name. Well, I had a, I had a problem with the uh, emulator because there are, if you're going to play the emulated version, it's worth noting that there are, uh, are some are some bugs in the, uh, in, I don't know if they're a result of the patch, but there are definitely some bugs. And one of the bugs that I came across was that when I was trying to enter in the female protagonist's name, uh, the uh, letters on the screen, the letter selector thing, just started like shooting around and going crazy. And so uh, my female protagonist's name is uh, AAA. Uh, because that's like the only thing that I could actually get in. And when I got, you know, when I actually entered it, uh, it, you know, the emulation went back to it being fine. So it's not entirely the pet. This is just a pet peeve of mine. And I'll be real quick about this. This era of fan translation revolved around an emulation scene that was very incomplete. A lot of people used ZSNES because it was the popular one but it's an incredibly inaccurate program that's a piece of shit. 
And as a result, it's cursed a lot of translation patches designed for it to be broken in a lot of ways. The other issue is that this game was released in two forms on cartridge. And this patch was built using the 1.0 release, which was buggy and had its own issues. And then there was a silent 1.1 release later. But by the time that the translator was made aware of this, he could not do anything about it without scrapping a lot of work. Hmm. Yeah, that's a huge bummer. Really wish we could see get the good version with the fan translation. So besides yeah. the SNES version, there was also the GBA version and the PS1 version and the iOS version. I don't really think that there were too many differences. I know that they updated the soundtrack for the iOS version, but I think that was just the PS1 soundtrack. It is. It plays the PS1 sound over the GBA visuals. There we go. And I assume the GBA is just a dumbed-down version of the SNES soundtrack. Yes. All right, so uh, let's actually get into the mechanics here. Uh, SMT1 was released three years before Kyuyaku Megami Tensai, which was the version of Megami Tensai 1 and 2 that we played. So there are some usability features that are noticeably lacking in this version. A big one being the fact that L no longer brings up the auto map map. Uh, it is now tucked deep away in your computer's program select, unfortunately, meaning you have to go through at least two menus to access it. So frustrating. Uh, yeah, but fortunately there's a, a ROM hack that is supposed to be compatible with the English patch that adds that back in. Did you try it? Did you install it? Uh, yeah, it's what I've been using from the start, and it is it makes things so much easier. Now that's nice. I, I, I'm I'm adverse to modding too much because I'm always afraid I'm going to break it. The game will break itself without your patches. Don't worry. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We'll get to that. Uh, equipping items and viewing character status is even more cumbersome. You um, again, multiple menus you have to go through. You can't switch between characters and demons using the L and R buttons when you're in the menus. On the bright side, though, you do uh, get a little bit more information about the stats of your weapons and items, especially mm-hmm. in the iOS version, which straight up tells you what the stats are as you're buying them. Yeah, this is one of those games where you're blind buying things and you get to figure out whether or not anyone can use them or if they're upgrades. It's great. This is definitely of the era where you kind of have to wonder, like, was this... Was all of this information in the manual and they expected you to have bought the game and read the manual as kind of like an anti-rental protection? Because, uh, yeah, like when you're buying an item, you kind of need to look up in a fact what the stats are. Well, rental wasn't really a thing in Japan. So, I mean, it's very possible that, uh, yeah, I think it was actually like outlawed or, or made illegal or something like that. So at, at, during the NES and SNES era, at least I say that half remembering hearing it probably on a retronauts five years and five years ago. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, so much of this information was included in like manuals or like strategy guides and whatnot at the time that it wouldn't be surprising if this information was in there in some degree. Uh, so moving on, battle sequences take much longer. You got to take, you got to hit a after every prompt. There's so much text, in the battles, it takes forever. Animation takes more time. Um, and uh, use, when you're moving about the, the in the first-person dungeons, useful information, like Magnanite levels aren't visible if you've moved recently. You've got to wait for them to show back up. Um, everything is pretty much controlled with the A button. No start, no select, no L, no R, nor Y, nor X. B to go backwards, and A to confirm everything. 
I have a suspicion that this game began life on the NES in some form and came over. Yeah, that would be that. Yeah. that would be the really the only logical explanation because there's so many things buried deep in those menus and there's so many buttons that they could have assigned them to. Well, and it would also explain the really, really poor coding. I didn't <laughs> check if this game was their first SNES title. Atlas was a contract developer for a lot of people at the time. But it's we cannot overstate how buggy this game is. <laughs> yeah, and there's really nothing here that couldn't have been done on the NES because uh, like if you listen to our Megami Tensei 1 and 2 podcasts, most of the game takes place in either a first-person dungeon or just a really straightforward top-down map. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting to the map, actually, it's, uh, you know, you, when you're in the dungeon, it's first-person like always. The environments are uh, definitely more varied than they were in Megami Tensei 1 and 2. Um, still, pretty much, when you're inside a building, every wall looks the same, but whatever. Um, and then when you're outside of a building, you get... A world map, it's not quite like a Dragon Quest Final Fantasy world map. You're still represented by an overly large human-esque thing, but it's like a bathroom symbol. Like a <laughs> <laughs> It's sort of like a primitive version of a waypoint symbol. And I yeah. mean, this overworld map will stick around for a long time. There is, I mean, it's an SMT4, like this style of overworld map. And it's not um, bad. No, it's not terrible, but it definitely uh, looks a little primitive now. And so yeah, you get a you get a street view. It's basically like a grid of streets. In the iOS version, they slant it a little and make it. It's a little more visually interesting. Um, but in the SNES game, it's everything's kind of on a grid more or less. Yeah, and so you're usually moving about a city in the world maps in this game. Like you're actually in the city, and certain inter- interest points are just buildings within the city rather than the world map representing the world and moving between cities like in Megami Tensei 2. Um, the world map is weirdly like blocked off always, uh, like at the edges of the streets, even at the beginning of the game before there's a crisis happening. What mm. was the explanation the cops give you at the beginning of the game? A was murder. Yeah, oh, the beginning yes. of the game is the murder, remember? Oh, yes, there's a murder. We must get there's to that. There's a murder, so we need to isolate this one district and not let anyone out. Never. All right. So after we now that we're getting into the game proper, you hit new game and you're shot right into the dream world. And you're in this weird pink fleshy womb like place. Um, Everything's hazy. The game is automatically moving your character forward. There are paths that you don't go down. So something tells me that perhaps we will be reentering this place at some point down the line. You find a stone tablet that has a head. That looks quite like Yahweh from the first, uh, from the second Megami Tensai, and demands your name. And uh, did anyone choose anything interesting? I like always just picked a common Japanese male name. I went Fletch. I went with Evan. I I, I went with my usual naming uh, approach, which is to use uh, uh, names that are also uh, words for penises. So ah, I, I went with, I went with Lance. Rod, and uh, I can't remember the third right now. <laughs> so uh, it, during your dream, you uh, you meet three people walking down the hallways. They're they're shown in these sort of like uh, detailless spirit bodies that uh, just like just think you know 
mist in the air that kind of sh- is shaped like a human. You meet uh, your the law hero. He's uh, is he up on the cross or is that the he's chaos the hero? Cross. Yeah, law hero's up on the cross. Just so you know, he's he's next to Jesus. Um, you meet your chaos hero, who's man, I don't remember. Uh, there's a demon by demons. Yeah, uh, yes. yeah, there's a demon sitting on his chest. <laughs> and then you also meet. Um, there is a third. There is a third companion character, but this is not her. You meet a lady named uh, Yuriko, who will haunt you for the first section of the game. And with that, you wake up. Yeah, once you wake up, you are in your bedroom. Uh, some jaunty music is playing, and you are at your computer. Uh, once you log in, you get a mysterious message that says that it's the uh, demon comnet, and you receive a mysterious message that a demoning summoning software is available for you. And like any good internet user, you immediately run and install any sort of software that anyone sends you. <laughs> Uh, once you install the software, you find out that it allows you to summon demons and also to um, accept and store demon allies and interpret demon speech. Uh, this is a big thing in the few, in the next couple games. Uh, in some of the games, like you actually install memory modules that allow you to speak to demons. But the big thing here is that you have this portable computer. You can not only summon demons, but you can understand their language. So uh, once you move on, you leave your computer, head out into your house, and you meet your mom. Uh, she comments that you slept very well despite police sirens blaring all night, uh, proceeds to give you 10,000 yen, which is roughly $100, as your weekly allowance, and sends you off to buy her some coffee. That's a pretty good allowance, especially oh, yeah. for 1992. Well, you know, coming off that boom economy, maybe had yeah. a little bit left over. Oh, yeah, so with 100 bucks in tow, you head out your door, and all of a sudden you're greeted with a beautiful uh, overhead map. The entire city of, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this, uh, Kichijoji, uh, rendered in beautiful two-dimensional overworld. Uh, one of the things you quickly find out, uh, like Brian said earlier, is that most of the city is blocked off by police. Uh, they tell you that a murder investigation is going on, so naturally they need to block every street out of the area. So with nowhere really else to go, you end up heading to the mall. Uh, you find uh, a coffee shop deep in the mall where there's a couple of NPCs to talk to. Um, the way this game handles dialogue, you don't go to an NPC, hit A, and then speak with them. You just enter a tile, then someone just starts talking to you. Or you turn in that tile, and they'll tell you the same message that you just heard. Which we can tell you tile. again and again and again. Oh, it's, yeah. It gets super weird, like, when you enter the mall and you're in the cafe area, where there's just, like, four tiles right next to each other, all with an NPC. So you could just be trying to walk out of this place and these NPCs will just, you know, grab you and interrupt your day. <laughs> yeah. And like in Amagami um, Tensei 1 and 2, the NPCs and the non-plot critical NPCs are mostly there to uh, foreshadow future events. 
Uh, so in the coffee shop, you'll find an NPC who tells you that the director of the hospital is acting oddly, and there are rumors that he's been doing strange experiments at night. But never mind that. Yuriko, the nude lady we met in the bathhouse in the dream, is there, and she jokes and says, Man, it's been a dream to see you here again. And with that, she's gone. Uh, you hear a couple other rumors in that area. Uh, they say that a teenage girl was murdered and dismembered uh, in the park nearby. You stop by, you buy some coffee for your mom, uh, and once you explore the mall a little bit more, you find out the mall is actually a classic Magame Tensei uh, town. It has a weapons shop, an armor shop, a drug shop. Uh, it also has a thing called an antique store that you can't do anything with it yet, but um, once a certain thing happens a little bit later, uh, the antique store becomes way more useful because it's actually a gun store. Wait, well, actually, you know, um, did you guys actually get to buy guns from there? Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. I googled around and people said it was unusable in the translation patch because when I went back there, way after anything, any kind of trigger should have happened, I was unable to do anything there. Huh. The translation patch especially is really weird about hitting specific flags and bugging out. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, if you visit it immediately after um, a certain thing happens with your mom, uh, you can definitely buy guns there. Or at least I was able to. Well, that's a bummer. Oh, well, eventually you run into another gun store, but it's going to be a while. <laughs> After the mall, you actually find a um, a random encounter uh, behind the drugstore where um, there's a man who seems like he's tormented by demons. And all of a sudden, a Petra, which is a demon that will become famous throughout this series for having a really big pot belly and a really little dick uh, that's always out on <laughs> display, uh, will strike him down, slash at you, and then all of a sudden you get a free attack knife. Literally, you pick it up off the dead man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, make no mistake. You're robbing a corpse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so after that, what do you do? What else is there to do? Well, we got coffee. We robbed a corpse. We saw a demon's ding-dong. So let's go back home and go to sleep. (laughs) Uh, Once you fall back asleep, you dream of your same friends again. Uh, Only this time, uh, once your chaos buddy and your lawful buddy join up with you, uh, you see a woman being sacrificed by cultists. Um it doesn't really matter what you say. You're going to rescue her regardless. Uh, but if you decide to rescue her, your law buddy will be glad. Your chaos will be angry and vice versa. So uh, after after you rescue her, she'll suddenly say, oh, thank you very much. Uh, I'm sure we'll see each other later. Not quite yet, but much later. And then you wake up. You know, despite the objections from your aligned friends, I don't think your choice there has any effect on your overall alignment. Yeah, I think the first alignment choice happens uh, a little bit, well, at the very end of this recording, actually, is when the first thing of consequence happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, So once you wake up, if you explore the town a little bit more, you will find an old man in the street. Uh, He will ask you whether or not you are worthy, whether or not you're prepared, and send you into a weird dream world where you are traveling to some strange uh, computer terminal with ritualists waving uh, banners and fans, and you'll get confronted by a man in a lab coat who is getting ready to open a portal to the demon world. Uh, once you fight him for a couple of turns, he does some pretty good damage. Uh, but whether he kills you or not, the old man will pull you out of the stream and uh, tell you that you're not ready yet. So you turn around, you head back home, and next thing you know, the cops are arresting you. Uh, they say that you ripped somebody's throat out, you killed them in cold blood, and that you're one sick puppy. So... Rather than wake up in a jail, you find yourself locked up in the aforementioned hospital from earlier, which kind of lends some credibility to the, hey, this guy's an asshole who's experimenting on people's rumors. 
the lawful hero is there, his girlfriend, who has the neutral hero name, is there, and she's the next-door neighbor. If you'd explored earlier before you were arrested, you could have gone into your next-door neighbor's house and been told by her mother, yeah, she's not here right now, come back later. But the big thing is that across from you, across from your cell? I'm not really clear on the geometry here. Is it's it's in the same hallway, I think. Yeah, it, this cutscene makes it kind of hard to tell. And you meet one of the only recurring NPCs between games in this series, Steven. Oh, he comes back? That's great! Yeah, Steven is pretty much the only guy to come back across virtually every main SMT title. Now, are we supposed to interpret him as being a Stephen Hawking? He's, he's legitimately Stephen Hawking. Of course. Mm-hmm. I They make it much clearer later, like in some of the 32-bit ones, he's got a bit of a head tilt, etc., in the chair. Yeah. Just imagine Stephen Hawking piling around, like he's got the little screen, he's in a wheelchair, that's the dude. Yeah, and actually you'll notice, like, this is kind of a grim note, but um, as the actual Stephen Hawking's can condition deteriorated in later up in later um years in the 90s he looked kind of okay kind of like he does now but in later games he's updated to reflect his current kind of condition and physiology yeah i'm i'm really curious what they're going to do with this character when the real mr hawking passes but uh yeah so i mean if if his disease hasn't killed him now he's effectively immortal i think it's possible. If you told me tomorrow that he's been a hologram projection for 10 years, I'd buy it. But uh, Stephen, as he is only referred to in these games, is the gentleman who created your devil summoning program and mass sent it out to people at the start of this game. He has discovered computers connect to the abyss and can be used to summon demons. This is why a man named Goto is trying to raise a demon army within the city, and you're totally never going to have to deal with that. But Steven is one step ahead of these gentlemen and just open all the doors in here and tell you, hey, I'm a guy in a wheelchair. You should go do some fighting. So we explore the hospital. It's, you know, a very small dungeon. I hesitate to even call it a dungeon given what's going to come soon by comparison. But you walk around. Was there even any treasure here? I want to say there was one treasure in the hospital. I It's a very bare-bones area, and you get a boss fight at the end, who is the hospital director, Orias. Ah, there's a strength incense on the second floor. That's the sole treasure in the hospital. Well, you know, that's not the worst thing they could hand you before a gimmick boss fight. Uh, Orias has been experimenting on human corpses to turn them into... Zombie soldiers and or slaves to do his bidding. Then he fights you. He's a man on a horse with a trident. He doesn't do much, and he doesn't take a lot of hits. I kind of feel like this is not a boss really worth justifying beyond his design. So Yeah, there are a lot of bosses in this early part of the game that seem more like, hey, do you know how to play the game? Do you know how to fight enemies? Do you know where the healing spell is? And not much else in terms of challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you're used to how this series plays, where status effects are a very handy thing to use and that bosses are weak to them, you're going to just stomp all over this early game. 
Yeah. I mean, one thing that struck me so early in this game is uh, that it hits on a theme that will come back in future games um, and is kind of recurring, which is uh, human experimentation of, of some sort. It's true, and they do milk different angles out of it, but you should probably expect to see some weird video droming of people. Yes, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> some Cron- Cronenberging. All over the place. Especially once they can do bigger sprites later. <laughs> so, having defeated the hospital boss, you are no longer a wanted man. You can just go back to wandering around the city. And you are now able to get further to the south, but not out into the main world proper. They've just relaxed a few barriers, not all of them. However, uh, you can now heal yourself, which you're going to want because random encounters are now a thing, and fuse demons. There's not much to do yet. You know, do a course of it if you want, play around with things, but you're still dealing in crap tier demons, and there's really not a lot of the options that come in later opened up yet. What you really want to do is go to the mall, and in wandering around, you're going to find a dude getting the crap beat out of him by Yakuza. That is the chaos hero who, as I mentioned in the intro, gets curb stomped by demons there, and he his entire thing is, God, I'm so weak. You, you're strong. I'm going to be with you. Let's strong together. And he forces <laughs> himself into your party. Uh, this early in the series, law and chaos are not as... How do I put this? developed as they will go on to be later. So chaos is very much strength and freedom and law is order, peace and neutral is just kind of like, yo, what the hell are you both talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the questions are very, that decide your alignment are very pointed. uh, I I get it. It's an early iteration of the idea. But it's, it's, it's more developed at least than how Magami Tensai 2 handled its law and chaos routes. Oh, it's true. Absolutely. I'm just stating this so anyone who's coming into this with later game experience and hearing me say law and chaos, everything left and right, doesn't think, oh, it's like this later. They're pretty blatant. It's very much, would you like to start an orphanage or kick a puffy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You will always know what choice you are making when you make it. (laughs) Are you down with God, son of man? No. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the next beat will be eventually you're going to want to head home and the music is different in the house now. When you talk to your mother, you're going to figure out pretty quick that's not your mother. It is Grandma, a- your teeth are so big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it is an Amano Sakagami. Well, actually, you know what? You don't even notice. It's your it's your your law friend who points it out to you. Like, mm-hmm. hey, something's off here. <laughs> oh crap! Is that because is that how it went? I've forgotten that scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. He warns you, like your mother's like, "Come give me a kiss," and he's like, "Hold on, main character. Something feels strange here." <laughs> I thought your mother was just a coffee addict. Where's the love? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you'd think that would have been, you know, the next-door neighbor there. But hey, this one is a 
This is really more of a first boss. It actually uses some status effects. You can be muted, and debuffs and buffs come into play. The, you know, you guys have covered that in the prior episode, so I won't go over that, blah, blah, blah. You know what that means. This is where the game starts becoming Shin Megami Tensei Combat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any... <laughs> the note that I just scrolled down to is, after the fight, your companions <laughs> try to help you with your dead mom with pithy words, then an argument over the pithy words. <laughs> yeah, I love the sequence that happens here, is that your chaos... Your, your law buddy is like, hey, your mom died. Try to be okay about that. And then yeah. your chaos buddy gets super... It's like, hey, what the fuck, man? His mom just died. <laughs> you could not have phrased that more beautifully without... <laughs> and at this point, the dog who's just been chilling around your house the whole game, who you couldn't do anything with, earthbounds his way into the party, and he will do absolutely nothing for you, but he'll be handy uh, if you decide to go to the fusion hall. Because toss any demon and the dog together, and all of a sudden you've got Cerberus, who's way out of your weight class, and will trivialize this next area of the game. Hooray! Mm-hmm. So did they did they think at this point that Cerberus was going to be their mascot? Because they sure like to use him. Cerberus definitely recurs in a lot of the games. I don't know if the mascot intent was that. I'm trying to remember what it does in two. I'll have to look that does, up. Is, does, does he always have a story role, or do they drop that eventually? Eventually it gets dropped, but early on, I swear there's another plot arc. I'm going to look this up when I'm not the reader in a second, but there's definitely something in SMT2. It's not just a standard, grr, I can be recruited. Anyhow, at Yeah, point, well, I mean, you know, Cerberus, he, going back to the original novels, he was really, really important. I think in later games, he's just another demon that you come across and can summon. But, you know, I'm not sure at what point he lost his, uh, lost his sort of pseudo mascot status. I think the instant they realized how adorable Jack Frost is, he lost his status. Yeah. Yeah. Around this time, again, the sprites change with this game. And this is about the era where Atlas takes on Jack Frost as a mascot, because as I said, Jack Brothers was the only game they made for the Virtual Boy. Yeah, and actually, speaking of the sprite work, uh, we talk about this game being mechanically, like, it could have been made for the NES, and mechanically it would have been the same, but one of my favorite things about Shin Megami Tensei 1, especially coming from the previous two games, is how gorgeous the sprites are in this game. Like, the character art is just wonderful here. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a sign of, you know, the improved design that uh Kaneko puts into uh puts into these elements. Okay. Hey. So yes, in I will not spoil the details on this, but yes, uh Cerberus is in SMT two, will be with you for a few story missions. And I guess in the GBA and IOS remakes, they go, Yep, that's the same Cerberus you fused in SMT one and he's got your dog's memories. Oh, all right. That was something I never knew before now.
All right, so where are we at? You beat the boss. Well, we got the, the boss. card for the Echo Building from the Demon Mom's Corpse. And so you uh, you go into the Echo Building, which if you tried to go in there previous, it would have said that you need an ID card. Now you have an ID card. So you can get into the first dungeon of the, dungeon of the game, which is an incredibly simple dungeon. And there's not a whole lot going on here. You can skip the first uh, five stages stories of the dungeon and go straight to the boss. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. 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 You can, you can totally skip it. The only reason why you would want to go around these, uh, through each level is, uh, that you can get a, uh, lot of, uh, stat items. You will find a lot of stat items. Uh, if you do explore Eureka shows up again, uh, and she tells you that with your power, you can do some amazing things. Um, behind her, you find a man at the terminal. Um, it was the old man that you, uh, had fought in your vision. And he says that he's trying to release his brethren from the abyss. And, uh, he turns into what looks like a demon, but is the human arcana. Arcana, I don't think is is something we've talked about yet in the games, but. It was in the last two, but it was rather vague. And it, they, the Arcana usually only had about, I think in, in MT2, there was about seven or eight different demons per Arcana. And it was basically like a level class system. Like there was only one weak level Jirai. There was one medium level Jirai and so on and so on. And that those Arcana, I mean, they, they definitely play a role in your demon fusions and what you confuse with one another, and which demons you well. confuse with one another. What's that? Recruitment as well. Certain arcanas cannot be recruited, only fused. They will refuse to talk to or acknowledge you or always act violently. Right, right. And so I think in this game, this is the first game where that is at least clearly stated. Demon fusion in the previous games is so sort of opaque that... It's really hard to figure out why you confuse a certain demon with another or not. Um, whereas in this game, if you want to go looking for it or googling for it, you can actually find a legitimate spreadsheet that has, uh, you know, that says these arcana and these demons will fuse into these demons and whatnot. For what it's worth, that is packed in with the iOS port. It is. It is. You uh, hit the uh, human boss, uh, and uh, he's the mythological rival of Abe no Samai in uh, Japanese legend. What's that? I did a bit of searching for his history, and it looks like he's mostly known as a, in a footnote as being the, uh, you see, the wizard rival of a mythological Japanese wizard. Wizard Wars. Yeah, he doesn't even have his own Wikipedia page, Domon. Doman, right. Human Doman. So, yeah, you know, I mean, he's, he's very easy to beat with Cerberus, who y- you have and is way overpowered uh, and overleveled for where you're at right now. Um, he casts elemental spells, uh, punches, and inflicts bind, um, which may affect your lower level demons, but Cerberus takes him out, like, really quickly. And then afterwards, and this is becoming a recurring theme, uh, Cerberus 
uh, attacks the terminal that Doman was using, and then he disappears. And so you get this overpowered demon, and you think, man, I'm doing pretty damn well at this game. And then that overpowered demon disappears to presumably show up later. Best fuck you in the game at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm willing to admit that there may be a better fuck you later in the game, but at the moment, this is getting my award for best fuck you in SMT1. I'm sure, yeah, yeah, I'm sure there are more SMT fuck yous to come. Um, so, after this point, you can uh, use the terminal to uh, save and to teleport, and you can teleport to a mysterious lab from here. And you will find demons all over the place. Uh, demons invaded, and everyone was killed or turned into zombies. You meet your buddy Steven again, and uh, this is actually the lab where he was developing terminals. And uh, Goto's influence, who we've heard about Goto in the past, uh, has spread here, and he's taken it over. And uh, Stephen <laughs> passive-aggressively gets you to upgrade your comp, which uh, lets you have two more demons in storage. So that's a so good did addition. You guys, did you guys go through the conversation tree with him? I did not. This? Oh, you should. I, so- said, I said no because I was not satisfied. <laughs> so it's great if you tell him you are satisfied. He's like, oh, really? I thought, okay, well, um, are you sure? And if you say yes again, he's like, oh, well, I thought you could use more demons, but I mean, I guess if you're satisfied, and then it'll go right back to the beginning of the prompt. That's fucking great. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, he doesn't want to come out and say, hey, I have something for you. He wants you to tell him, hey, I need something from you. <laughs> There's a, there's a theme to Steven and the games, and it's that he's kind of a dick, but he's the smartest man around by a mile. There's sort of a joke about this in a further game that I don't want to touch on, but it's like another character will take Steven's form as a man in a wheelchair, and it's kind of like, oh, oh, if you think about it. <laughs> okay, we'll look out. Yeah. We'll look out for that. So... Then we uh, we go through the terminal. We're in the whole new area of Tokyo, Shinjuku, which we've been to before in previous games. This basically acts as another world map. You can't connect between the two world maps by just walking down the street. You have to use the terminal. The cops will block your way if you try to go too far. Um, after wandering around for a bit, you will find the Shinjuku Mall, which is, uh, at first glance, just three hallways on the first floor. But it's all underground. And when you get underground, you realize this is the mall in your hometown is shit. Mm-hmm. They, they have everything here. <laughs> Did you ever play Saints Row 2, that giant underground mall? This is that mall. I, I have not played Saints Row 2. I started with 3. Oh, man. That's interesting. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit in Stillwater that is wonderful, which is there. they'll send you to this mission eventually, and you go to a mall, and it's like, Oh, it's just kind of a crappy food court. And then you'll discover the stairs, and it's like two or three floors underground, which are all huge, wider than the building itself. Every store is its own unique joke. Some of them actually sell you things. It's just a wonderful sense of discovery. That's this mall. Awesome. That's really cool. So I don't, I didn't really know where else to put this, but around this time, you can run into a new enemy called the Dryad, who, uh, if you remember the dryad from the first game, um, it was a tree. In this game, it's a sexy green lady in a flowing white dress. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> so uh, it got it got a makeover, I suppose, at some point. But uh, I, I just love the sprite. I think it's really well drawn, and I think it's a uh, it it has a lot of detail for something that you know is only three or four colors. Just a really fantastic sprite. Yeah, there's there's definitely a little more uh, sexiness going on to this game, especially with the <laughs> demons. And, oh uh, sure, I, I assume that's. Uh, presume that's Kaneko's uh <laughs> it is definitely Kaneko there are art books of his work and you should see what some of the sketches that led to these sprites look like oh man <laughs> I, we, I, we do gotta track that down I have them, so- I'll send you some scans later Ooh. So incidentally a lot of those sketches ended up making their way into later games in like the uh like the 3ds era as just straight up like okay his sketch we're just going to digitize it and make that the enemy that you see on screen when you fight yeah them. Right. Um, i think it is actually just smt4 where they finally upgrade those and yeah it's very clearly based on the original drawings now um, so speaking of sexiness, did we mention the the cyber dicks in the fusion <laughs> chamber yet? No. It's a new generation of dicks. They, the, that priest was just staring at those stone dick statues and thinking, you know, I do like these dick statues, but do they scream future? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you, you're wondering about them all. There's uh, three healers here. There is the... There is your neutral healer, who I believe you can just use whenever. Then you have your Church of the Messiah and the Church of Gaia, the opposing uh, alliance churches that offer the exact same services. I assume once you're more locked into your alignment that the other church will turn you away. Yes. But yeah, at this point in the game, they don't have a ton of distinguishing function between themselves. Yeah, they sell a few different items, but like one of the problems with this game is it doesn't explain what any of the items do, so I never felt too compelled to buy items from these guys. Yeah, no, it's it's real difficult to invest in items that are just like, well, this is a thing you can use it for something. Sure, I'll buy a pentagram. <laughs> what I'll um, you, uh, the Messiah Church is uh, all for God, yay God, and the Gaia Church is all for Lucifer, yay Lucifer. And uh, as with Megami Tensai 2, Lucifer is portrayed as a tragic figure who bestowed intelligence on the humans and was punished for it by being turned into a demon. At least according to the uh, event, uh, the evangelist outside of the Church of Gaia. <laughs> oh, and and they, like, they would say that. Yeah, like any good mall church, there's someone outside trying to grab anybody who's walking by and preach at them. Yeah. Actually, wait, wait, let's back up here. So is, is, do churches exist in malls? Have you guys oh, ever yes. seen that? Oh yeah, really? I've, yeah. that's not been a thing in my experience, dude. Near me, yeah, there is a former Discovery Zone that is a church now. It even is <laughs> part of this mini mall. That's excellent. That oh. seems really sad to me. <laughs> well, to be fair, that whole chain closed. <laughs> oh, that would be even more sad. Um, yeah. Just a quick note about the official translation i'm trying to get back to there on my phone right now but i'm pretty sure from memory they changed church of the messiah and church to Ga- of gaia to the messians and the gaians from later titles uh, yeah that makes sense okay um so to keep it in continuity yeah, that I totally makes to double sense. check i'm trying to find it um also in the mall there's but all the shops that you need except for a gun store there's only that gun store in the first mall not one here but there isn't there's a survival store there is a knife store there is a drug store and you got a fusion mansion who said mansion it's not a mansion so <laughs> in the game i think it calls it a fusion mansion really oh okay so they, they i i just always see what jayaku jayaku manor there okay 
I did, was not aware that it was a mansion, but okay, I can live with that. I think um, with manor in the official stuff later, but yeah, it's it's in a mall. You do it does conjure up a much more interesting image than your usual strip mall. Oh yeah, yeah. This, this underground mall that just has a mansion inside, awesome. And there's a there's a bunch of rooms that are more or less empty, but they have NPCs in them that tell you varyingly levels of inter- useful or interesting information. Uh, rumors about what's happening in Tokyo, because no one is really quite sure what's going on. There's demons everywhere. The world seems fucked. Uh, you uh, start learning about a man named Goto, who's controlling the Japanese military, which is attempting a coup on the government. Ooh, spooky. The uh, Then we also learn that the Americans are getting involved, and the American ambassador is uh, just a bit, bit of the way down the road. We'll be meeting up with him pretty soon. And, uh, yeah, just a, a bunch of military sort of dialogue here just about the ongoing political uh, uh, restructuring that's happening in the wake of these demons taking over Tokyo. There's also some bars in the mall. There's a disco. I didn't really find any purpose to that disco. Uh, actually, you know what? I couldn't get in because I had demons summoned, I think. I, have to, I think you have to abandon, like, yeah, you have to send your demons. demons. Yeah, and yeah. I don't, but I don't think you really get anything useful in the disco. Uh, the only thing useful you get is a little tidbit of information because there's a soldier hiding out in the basement of the disco that tells you that he went AWOL once he found out the ambassador wants to destroy Tokyo with nukes. Oh, hey, that's, um, that is a, a bit of information. I didn't know that you could get this early. Yep. So anyway, there's also a neutral bar in town. And to, uh, the real function of the neutral bar is to talk to the bartender, uh, deny any drinks. You don't want any drinks. You're, you don't want to get drunk. And then you have to neutrally answer some questions. Well, if you try to order drinks, he'll tell you you're too young to drink them. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I just I like the idea of like, so how do you feel about this whole demon thing? I don't feel strongly one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, what drives a man to neutrality? <laughs> uh, he gives you the bo- a bar matchbook. This is a, a key item. Um, you potentially could have run into an NPC that asked for it earlier. Um, eventually, we'll run into him by going down to the basement of the mall, and you'll find uh, a resistance group. Uh, the, your entry fee is the matchbook. Um, they are a resistance against GoTo specifically, but they are not aligned with the ambassador either. Important point. You, uh, you finally meet your neutral dream buddy, the heroine. Um, in my game, I named her AOI. And Paul got ah. Uh, yeah, I named her after uh, my wife, which did not pay off dividends because uh, I also named my law buddy after my brother. <laughs> and so in the game, my brother is dating somebody that shares a name with my wife, which was kind of awkward. Uh-huh. It's okay. You gotta, stop, you gotta stop naming these people after uh, <laughs> yeah. people you know. At least, I, at least I managed to name myself after the main character after myself. So I know there's no chance of me turning on myself later in the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, you have a conversation, she asks for your help, you agree to help, and then Yuriko shows up and kidnaps her, because she had to come back to the plot eventually. Um, and she's been kidnapping with people named, uh, this girl's name all along. Like, your next-door neighbor, did someone actually say that your next-door neighbor was her? Cause uh, they, they, they say that she has the same yeah, name. They do share the same, same name. Yeah, they do. Okay, just making sure. But they do share the same name. So you could potentially run into your next door neighbor earlier thinking it was your dream buddy. Because she does tell you that she n- never had a weird dream that connected with yours. But you could think it for a brief second that it, that's her. 
But uh, so yeah, she's been kidnapping all these ladies named the same name, and uh, you got to go rescue her. You back in the bar, you find out that Yuriko took her to the government plaza to be publicly executed because um, apparently she is a higher up in the government. We had no idea. Back in town, so I don't actually remember seeing this, but back in town, you see a giant red TV on a building with Goto giving a speech. Yeah, you actually find this if you explore the town a little bit. Uh, there's a building where you think it's going to be like a dungeon or something like that, but instead you just see this massive, like this massive skyscraper that on the side of it there's this big, L- big red LCD screen that has this very angry Japanese man in a military uniform giving a very Hitler-esque sort of series of gestures as it gives <laughs> out this pretty, pretty extreme speech. Um, he, so he says he's the commander of the armed forces and is the ruler of Japan under martial law. He says that society is corrupt to the core. People fight amongst themselves and are destroying Gaia, our planet. He further says that he awakened the ancient gods known as demons to stop a, Jap- a Jap- Japanese obliteration project. The project will destroy Japan to lay foundations for a new totalitarian regime. The old gods will help Goto establish a utopia where demons live aside humans. Hey, man, Goto, that demons living alongside humans thing, that's not working out so hot right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and because you've got the rumors about American soldiers everywhere, this dude trying to take power in martial law, a lot of the townspeople are just sort of shitting themselves with this broadcasting everywhere, streets under lockdown. And, you know, then someone decides to hold a public execution, which is where we're going to go to stop that. So our next stop is Government Plaza. Yuriko clearly has some connection to the higher-ups going on in this whole thing, as evidenced by the fact that she can mobilize an army, humans, demons, and get people to strap someone to a cross and try and murder them in public. When I said things like, this game got some plot beats reused, some of you may be thinking, especially when I describe this next bit, hey, I've played that before. Yeah, this is part of that. You need to make your way to the center of this plaza where your ally is tied up and you are going to have to go through wave after wave in this fight. It's actually a pretty brutal boss fight because it's one of the first where you do not have one big guy. You just have attrition against a lot of enemies. Mm-hmm. First, the cops. Yeah. Then men with you know AKs or other assault rifles. Then more men with assault rifles and demons. <laughs> yeah, and Brian actually ran into a really nasty bug uh, that he warned the rest of us about in the first part of this uh, area where... The cops, unless you kill them in two turns with the save patch and some other weird stuff going on, sometimes you get stuck in an infinite loop where you'll never be able to get out of this fight unless you end it really quickly. Fun fact, that's actually a really common bug to hit, which you might not get in normal testing because a lot of times people are using god mode to make sure scripts fire, not does this work if I last for X time. Uh, Interesting. That I don't know, did you guys ever hear about Artanelico 2? No. It was a PS2 RPG by the then much tighter budget Nipponichi Soft, and they brought over a late game boss with a bug where if you didn't kill her within, I think it was actually three turns, unless you were very lucky, she would use an attack, which they accidentally broke in localization, so the game would hard crash. Oh, no. So you had to beat a major story boss in two to three rounds. It was doable. That sounds like 
real pain. It's funny yeah. you mentioned that. I've been playing uh, Arnor Sugi, which I guess is a prequel on uh, the uh, on the PS3 recently because a couple of people told me to ch- check out that series, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of those things that happens. <laughs> so yeah, that's an easy bug and a fun tip to any game developers or translators or whatever. Just kind of like take your time on a boss fight sometime. Make sure you haven't stuck one of those in there by accident. It's cool. It just takes a few minutes. As we were mentioning, the boss continues going on wave after wave. The third wave is also pretty glitchy because it is the first time the game will throw two enemy types into battle at once Normally, you just see one sprite on the line, and they'll swap out with whoever's behind them when you kill them. But in this, you've got two at once, and take out the soldier first, and the sprite will just sit there like a ghost. It's kind of irritating, actually. And by this point, the Lemurs, the demons in the fight, are debuffing you, which the humans couldn't do, which makes the final wave of Lemurs and Ghouls a real, all right, I'm at my wit's end, I'm probably knocked down, let's just crush this and get it over with. And for what it's worth, if you do this and get to Yuriko at the center of the plaza, she just goes, well, shit, and leaves. Yep. (laughs) So you've got your buddy, and then you head back to the bar, because everyone's going to go, hey, did you succeed in that rescue? We didn't. We're not watching TV down here. We don't have a TV in the bar. And some of the other kidnapped ladies are in Goto's headquarters in Ishigaya. They also want to make a move on the Yakuza boss's base. Both the Order and the Chaos heroes will now abandon you to go do their shit, and you get the neutral hero. She wants to either get the Americans and Goto to walk away from this crazy nuclear pissing contest... Or come to some kind of peace because she would like to save the city that she and millions of others live in. So from this point forward, you have a couple of ways to go. Um, you can either complete GoTo's headquarters next, or you can go straight to the Ambassador. Either way is fine. Uh, for this playthrough, I went to GoTo next. Uh, so his headquarters is a pretty small combat dungeon. Uh, it's about three floors. Uh, there's some stat-up items, but uh, they're some of the tiniest. I wouldn't even call it a dungeon. It's maybe five minutes to explore the entire thing, get up to the top. 
At the top floor, you'll find Goto himself, who has stripped down to a loincloth and is sitting on a uh, straw mat with a katana in one hand and a massive Japanese scroll, uh, wall scroll just behind him, kind of framing the picture, looking very intimidating and, most importantly, extremely Japanese. And very studly. Very, very studly. And very studly, yeah. He is a very muscular, slim, tanned man. This dude would be the uh, master in some kind of kung fu flick. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and let's not forget his excellent high top. Yes, high and tight. Uh, so he explains that he didn't actually want to kill your neutral buddy. Uh, he just wanted her out of the way. He had nothing to do with that. His subordinates were going crazy. And kind of like any really shitty boss, he blames everything on them and accepts no responsibility at all for their actions. He says that he was too busy worrying about a very dangerous plan going on kind of behind the scenes that only a couple of people know about. It's called the Thousand Year Kingdom Project, and it's being done in the name of God. Uh, so the Thousand Year Kingdom Project is actually a really old idea. It dates back to um, – it kind of fell out of vogue in around 300 AD. Uh, it was an idea in early Christianity where uh, either before or after the Antichrist comes to earth, Jesus is going to rule for 1,000 years of peace and prosper- prosperity for all of God's followers. Uh, the modern Catholic Church routinely dismisses this idea. They reject it completely. Uh, there are some Protestant denominations, uh, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, that buy into it. Uh, but by and large, it's an idea that mainstream Christianity rejected. The most recent and most aggressive advocate of the Thousand Year Kingdom was actually Nazi Germany. What this game is um, reflecting is uh, he explains that the Thousand Year Kingdom is actually only for God's followers. And in order for it to happen, they have to eradicate every single person on the entire planet who doesn't follow the one true God, including most of Japan, because, you know, Japan's not a Christian nation. And so he says that uh, Goto opposes the plan because he doesn't want to see his people, his country, completely eradicated. And he explains that the old gods are actually... Right now, projecting a force field over the entirety of Japan, the entirety of Tokyo, uh, keeping all of these American nukes from coming in and eradicating the population. And that the only thing stopping it is these gods whose power is failing. Uh, He asks for your help and begs you to uh, take care of the Americans so that everybody won't suddenly die in a terrible fire. Now, before we move too far from this, but listen, Thousand Year Kingdom seems a little short-sighted to me. (laughs) <laughs> Only a thousand years of prosperity? <laughs> That's it? What are you going to need after a thousand years of prosperity? You're going to get bored. Didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> what happened to the oh. man of tomorrow? Okay, yeah, so, the- so a thousand year kingdom means everyone gets hedonistic fat, stops multiplying. Well, I guess you don't need to be fruitful and multiplying in the thousand year kingdom. Okay, this adds up. I'm, I'm yeah, all no. for this now. It's like the humans in, uh, in WALL-E, you know? They just come back. <laughs> oh, God, WALL-E was the thousand year kingdom? <laughs> oh, no. Well, the original idea was that this would be like either a prelude to uh, the apocalypse or like some prelude to this glorious eternal life where, you know what? Humanity had a good run. Good run. Let's ring it out with a thousand years of peace, drinking, eating, getting along together. And then, I don't know, we'll all die and do whatever's next. All right. But- so moving on. Where are we going? Well, we're now going over the American HQ uh, headquarters, or... Uh, I, I think in a normal human speak, that's normally called an embassy. Yeah, I believe so. But I just wanted to say that, uh, I'm, you know, Fletcher, calling back to what you were saying about the uh, force field to protect Japan from American nukes, I, I'm starting to see 
the uh, the lines connecting with uh, future SMT games. So I'm glad you kind of called that out. Yeah, because, I'm uh, being real quiet around this part for a few reasons. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say any more, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, this is this is something we will see again. Um, anyway, so uh, you. Uh, Go to the American uh, Embassy, and as far as a dungeon, it's pretty much the same as uh, GoTo's uh, headquarters. It's just, uh, I think it's only two floors. Or no, no, it's four floors, but you can just take an elevator straight up there, unless you want to go around and uh, fight a few demons. There's there's a few treasure. So I I think his floor is actually, it's it's just two floors, but it has a basement and there's no elevator. The elevator is back in Go-To's. Okay. Which which kind of comes into play in a bit at the very end of the podcast. Okay. Okay, yes, you're right. I'm getting mixed up here. It's very easy to get the two two mixed up. Um, Anyway, at the top is uh, the American Ambassador, who is is known as Thor Man. Um, <laughs> hmm, let's, to, let's contemplate this. What could that mean? What could that mean? Not to put too <laughs> fine a point on it. Um, he says his Japanese is poor, which is, uh, at least in this translation, and I don't know if you could speak to the iOS translation, Fletch, but the way that this is done is really funny possibly borderline offensive in the way that it is yeah his translated <laughs> language comes across as the way that people make fun of asian people speaking english um it's a lot of a lot of broken english if you if you read it in context, it's because he d- he doesn't speak Japanese correctly. So I don't know if that was a choice that the fan translators made, or if that is also reflected. That is actually part of the translation, and they just keep they don't go as far with it in the iOS version. But yeah, it's very clearly I don't speak Japanese. It's an odd choice for the ambassador to Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why did they give this what was on his uh what was on his resume that got gave him this job? They usually don't have ambassadors who have to speak the language. They would be assigned an interpreter. <laughs> ambassadors, <laughs> right. especially in our country, are kind of a political favor. Fair enough. Sorry. Well, that's true. Shirley Temple used to be the ambassador to France. I know. Right? I know yes. that. <laughs> um so did okay. Benjamin Franklin. Anyway, he uh, he says that he wants you wants your help to save Tokyo from the demons. He says Goto wants to uh, summon Lucifer to Tokyo, and bringing all these imprisoned demons to him, and demons will run ruin all over Tokyo, and that the Americans don't want this, and they only have soldiers, and they can't fight demons, which you can. Um, you know, you and your other teenage friends that have this demon summoning program can do something that the American military apparently can't. Because they so, don't have access to swords. Like, that's just not what <laughs> they don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> They'll have swords or guns. Yes. Um, so, Ambassador Thor Man uh, wants you to kill Goto. And this is where you make your first major alignment choice. Of the entire series. And we might as well get this out of the way now for the fans of the show. Um, basically, the way we're going to be doing that is that one of the, ma- one of the uh, regular hosts, each one of us will pick a certain path per game. We're not going to stick to the same alignment every game because that would be really boring. Uh, but uh, for this one, um, Paul, you took Chaos. Evan, you're on neutral. And I took 
order, law. Yep. Just, you know, just getting that out of the way. So uh, here we go. First major choice of the game. Yes. Yeah, so if you uh, want to go with order, you agree to kill Goto. If you want to choose chaos, you decline to kill Goto and you say you want to side with him. But you specifically, in a really strange beat, also say that you don't agree with Goto. I'm not quite sure what that what that means. Neutral still yet. has to kill him, right? Yeah, Neutral says that, you know what, I don't like you and I don't like Goto. I don't have a solution, but I don't like what either of you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, the Chaos one is the really weird. It's the outlier because it says, you know, you're saying like decline – you're not going to kill Goto. You side with them. Also, don't agree with him. So, yeah, it's I don't know. It's just bizarre. But anyway, those are your choices. And um, so from that point, you know, uh, you head back to uh, Goto's spot to uh, either tell him that you're his bro or that you're going to kill him. Yeah. So if you go back to go to his base and you tell him, you know what, I'm not going to join you. The second you say no, uh, he's kind of aggressive about that. Like if he decides that, you know what, you're not going to help me, therefore you're my enemy. Uh, so he just stands up and starts fighting you. Uh, if the first thing he does is he summons demons to attack you in true Kung Fu boss style. Oh my gosh, uh, guys. Minions off. We forgot to mention something. So unlike oh. Megami Tensai 1 and 2, multiple demons can show up in the same fight. You can have two different demons with two different sets of how many of those demons are there. We, we mentioned it during the bum rush at the plaza. Oh, did we? Did we also mention that um, the demons will now uh, – you can win a battle and then another demon will come and attack you? Yes. Yes. Oh, oh we didn't mention that part, no. Yeah, well, that yeah, was, okay. yeah the, the, the way it handles demon encounters on the over map is that once you kill the first one, then a second one would just show up and start fighting. Mm-hmm. Which can be really frustrating and annoying if you're three steps away from the healing spot. Uh, so yeah, once you uh, once you talk to Goto, if you refuse to side with him, um, I assume if you side with him, he basically just says, oh, well, okay. Uh, but since I went down the neutral path, I have to make everybody mad at me. Um, <laughs> so, there's two ways of demon after uh, the first one is some pretty weak demons. I don't even remember what they are. I think I killed them in one turn. They were really simple. Uh, the second path, uh, it has one really weak demon. It's like a shade or a specter or something. And then a really strong demon called a Baycock. Uh, he hits really hard. He's really resistant to physical attacks. Um, after I died to him once, I looked up a fact and found out, oh, there are bosses in this game that are weak to hammer. So I cast Hammer once on this guy, and he died instantly. Uh, Hammer being the light instant kill uh, that's normally only useful against regular monsters, uh, which trivialized the second round. Uh, once his demons are down, Goto will then declare, I see my demons were no match for you. If you want something right, you have to do it yourself. And so Goto, the slim Japanese loincloth-bearing swordsman, stands up, points at you, and his eyes start glowing. Uh, he gets... And what I think is a really cool moment, instead of being human go-to, he's superhuman go-to. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has way more HP than anyone you've fought so far, and uh, he can heal himself, which makes this fight last even longer. Uh, but fortunately, one thing I found out during this fight is that bosses are weak to status ailments in this game. Like, you can put him to sleep, you can shock him, you can paralyze him, you can do kind of whatever you want with him. Uh, so, <laughs> Thank uh, goodness. 
Yeah. <laughs> and your neutral buddy actually gets um, – she, she starts with bullets that put people to sleep. So between her shooting people and having my Fornius uh, – I'd fused a Fornius, which is like the flying manta ray uh, monster. Uh, he casts a, a shock spell that has a pretty good chance of uh, paralyzing people. So between those two, like, go to – only attacked me once this entire fight. So it was just a lot of me pounding on him while keeping him stun-locked. <laughs> uh, so once you finally fe- defeat him, he uh, kind of ridicules you, and he says, have you even stopped to think of what the consequences of my death will be? You've made a foolish mistake, my friends. And now is where you get to find out if he was lying about standing against nukes that could dest- to destroy your entire country. Because Yeah, it's not like he offered any proof, man. He could have just been making that whole thing up. Sure. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people have told me there were nukes pointed at me. How do I know he's telling the truth? Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've been living, living, you know, most of our lives with nukes pointed at us, so, you know. And then you head across town back to the ambassador, uh, the embassy. This is Well, the- actually, hold on. We just, just to make sure, uh, Paul, so you did you do the chaos route for this bit? Yes, yes. So, uh, if, so if you do not fight GoTo, how does it articulate? Well, um, and then we'll, see. we'll, we'll merge at the end of your boss fight. Uh, not a whole lot happens. You just go back and he's like, you know, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, he reiterates that they're going to nuke the shit out of you, I think. And, uh, he says, okay, well, you got to go over and, uh, kill, uh, Thor man. Um, and that's pretty much about it. And then the, so, Okay. So, sorry, Serge, you go ahead. Um, I was mostly just going to point out there's actually a very well-done bit, which is part of the translation here. And when you te- if you tell him you've defeated Goto, his response is, Oh, you've done it? Oh my, oh my. And then lightning strikes him like he was Shazam. And <laughs> you are instantly able to understand him because now he is speaking the language of demons and angels, which your comp translates for you. So suddenly we go from this happy child to, I must say, that was quite an accomplishment. <laughs> and Thor, oh, wow, I didn't pick up on that. Standing in front of you on behalf of yeah, himself. Yeah, it's way more subtle than it has any right to be. I know, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, it turns out that is Thor, the god of thunder from North mythology. And I just want to, have you guys ever read the book, um, American Gods by Neil Gaiman? Yep. Oh yeah. So I just, in a better translation, I think his name would have been Ambassador Thursday. Um, <laughs> it's good. there's just a bit in the book where, oh, well, uh, fuck it. There's a, there's a character. If you avoid, if you want to avoid spoilers for American Gods, don't listen to this. Um, there's a character named Mr. Wednesday the entire game, and when he's first introduced, uh, there he says, well, "You might as well call me Mr. Wednesday." But based on the the weather out here, it I could be Mr. Thursday. Uh, I just always I just always like that line. Yeah. It's a little, little, little more clever than Thor Man. Well, there's one <laughs> just as blatant in that book too. So. <laughs> Thor Man is the uh, is the first draft version of the Marvel comic book hero Thor. Huh. <laughs> I'm Stanley, and let me tell you about my newest creation, <laughs> Thor Man. It's a staff against things, and it's got the power of a hammer. Come on, well, well, well Stan, Stan, Thor's in the public domain. Can not it just be Thor? No, but then how is he a man? Thor Man. How else are we going to make money off of this? <laughs> anyway 
So, so continue. So at this point, um, Ambassador Thorman is Deity Thor now, standing in front of you in the name of God and praising you for what you've done. He will ask, and this is the quote, will you continue to fight in God's name? And as I said, very blatant about the choices in this game. For the neutral path or for the chaos path, you should say no right here Beak, and get ready to fight. So you have to fight both on the neutral path. Yes, that is how yeah. these first two games work. You fight everybody on neutral. Yeah, because that's what neutral means, pissing everybody off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Nobody that's likes why a neutral. I know it's like World War One and two. two. Fingers up and just go fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. They're like, oh, so <laughs> World War Two, one and two, where you know Switzerland. So many casualties by their hands. Huh. Uh, well, maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle, you know. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, so you fight Thor. And this is very much the final boss of this chapter. He w- he can bind the whole party. He has lightning spells that do a decent amount of damage, but can also inflict shock and kill a turn. He hits like a truck because he's got a massive hammer. And like Goto, he is susceptible to status effects, including, ironically, shock. If you hit him with status effects, if you can stun him in any way, you will take him down because he does not heal like Goto. He just hits hard and occasionally knocks you out for a round. So Yeah, I didn't have that. I didn't have incredibly strong demons at this point, um, but I didn't have a ton of difficulty with him either for that precise reason yeah he's very vulnerable to status and it i don't i'm gonna have to look for that as we go on further if they kept the light aligned law aligned creatures more vulnerable to status but there's definitely a lot of that early game yeah i can definitely see why in later games they did not make enemies susceptible to sleep and paralyze Mm -hmm. And for all we know, these could also be bugs because, God, this game. (laughs) (laughs) But after you take out Thor, you will be told that it's too late. Thor's hammer has already been brought down. Within moments, nuclear-tipped ICBMs will strike Tokyo. The city and the demons will be no more. And his final words are, glory to God and his thousand-year kingdom. So if you do this on the law alignment, you don't fight Thor. You, you, when he says, will you continue to find God's name? You say yes. And then he says, excellent, bring on the nukes. And nukes Tokyo anyway. <laughs> Only way to get rid of demons. So at this point, there is a clock in the center of your screen, which is just 30 seconds of countdown. You can run back through the you know, the embassy. You can just stand still. If you get to the basement, an American soldier is like, why the hell are you panicking? And then the bomb goes off. Like, the nukes land. Yep, nothing you can do. No way out. Nope. And your neutral ally will say that, at this rate, we're both going to die. We should at least save one of us. Goodbye, and teleport you out. And that is yep. the end of part one from Megami Tensei, Shin Megami Tensei 1. Uh, you know that countdown, uh, I was really surprised and kind of shocked at the interface screw there. Like, it just, it, uh, they had never pulled off anything like that before. So, and, and the game, I mean, it's pretty visually static for the most part. So just seeing anything even that slightly different is, a, is kind of a shock. 
And I don't want to go, uh, I don't want to jump ahead, but uh, when you uh, get teleported, uh, you got a little uh, mode seven effect. So for the first time, oh, yeah. they're using uh, <laughs> the capabilities of the um, system that they're on. You could figure out mode seven, but you couldn't figure out the four extra face buttons. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh. That is a very ah. thing. So did we want to add anything else before we sign off for the night? I can't say anything without spoiling what is obviously going to be where we pick up next time. So, All right. So join us next time. Serge will be back with us for the second part of Shin Megami Tensai Part 1. We haven't quite figured out the cutoff point yet, or else I would tell you. Unfortunately, you're just going to have to sort of, uh, not free base. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> free ball. <laughs> free ball it. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're going to just have free ball it. Um, Come free ball with us next time on Megaton Marathon. <laughs> Uh, so once again, I must <laughs> always back to dicks. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, if you uh, want to rate and review us on iTunes, that's much appreciated. Uh, we got our first review, which uh, mysteriously came from a uh, character named ECECEC, which uh, Duckfeed listeners may be uh, familiar with who that may be. Um, anyway, we would appreciate more reviews. They help us, uh, you know, help more people find out. Um, we have a Facebook page. Um, it's just facebook.com backslash Megaton Marathon. And uh, if you want to drop us a line about this game or about the podcast or about uh, Persona 1, which we'll be doing next, um, drop us a line at megatonmarathon at gmail.com. And I think that's about it for the business. Do we need do we need to start adding a legal disclaimer that's like we are not actually associated with duckfeed.tv? I don't know if that's necessary. <laughs> anyway. So uh, with that in mind, dear listeners, here's a bit of advice for you. Life he, life ho, he ho is not fair. <laughs>